0: Good to see all of you. It's a great morning, and I see some of the visitors. We are very thankful to have you here. Past few weeks, I have received uh, too much attention from you. Um, but just so that you do not misunderstand me, why does he look like that? Why does he talk like that? Um, This week I was in in the ER room for overnight uh, evaluation. Um, And this, uh, nobody knows what is uh, causing my uh, dizziness. Uh, Thankfully, uh, they did all the tests that they can. And for me, it is very difficult to read, concentrate. um, And when I speak, and when, especially when I sing, it's, it's really bad. That's why I had the time I had to leave today. And after today's uh, worship, we will have fellowship luncheon. But I won't be able to uh, talk to you too much. So I just want you to know. And by the grace of God, we'll share some of the God's word. And this is not my normal way of preaching. And um, I hope you come back next Sunday because this will sound like much of a lecture, which as a pastor, I think is necessary for my people to hear. We've been, since last Sunday, we've been thinking about the revival in general. Because of the news in Kentucky, the Asbury School, some people are saying there's a revival, revival. And they put much of their hope in that prospect of coming revival because they know from their history when revival happens, it spreads. And I gave you some of my perspective last Sunday and we will continue to do that today. If you at least paid attention in your high school time. When I came here, when I was 17, one of my favorite classes in the high school was history. Why? Because compared to my own home country's history, which we say about 4,000, 5,000-year-old, much of the history is lost. But American history... You have the documents. It only goes back so far. So I, I just devoured it just because it was so fun. And I remember a history teacher telling everybody, American friends, you see what Sam's doing? He's making 105 with extra points. <laughs> what are you guys doing? You're making 70s, 80s. And in those times, I was reading the textbook. And there I read about the Great Awakenings. And as I said last Sunday, they were studying Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I thought to myself, wow, they study, they read and study somebody's sermon. What an amazing feat that is. And I was a Christian. I was very excited. I read... The First Great Awakening, there's a Second Great Awakening, and so on. And that's all there was, and there was a re- religious revival, in the past. So do you remember those accounts, when you read those accounts? I highly suspect anyone is studying in your own life right now, reading the First or Great Awakening or the Second Great Awakening, the accounts, sermons, things like that. You are too busy. But people vaguely remember from their readings and studies in their high school that there was a great phenomenon, religious phenomenon in America. It's called First Great Awakening, and people became Christians in mass, and people came to church, and the society changed because of those people who became Christians. All the pubs, they closed down, salons, they closed down, and It just became just Christian nation for a while. So when people hear that there is a revival going on somewhere in America, some people say, well, it will spread. And they put their hope in that revival. Last Sunday, we read from Matthew 7, Jesus' warning that Narrow is the gate, and only few will find it. Church of Christ will be minority in the world. And also, there are false prophets, pastors, preachers. And the only way you are going to tell the difference is by looking at the fruit. their fruits. It will take some time for you to evaluate their ministries. Also, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. But those hear and obey or do the will of my Father in heaven will enter it. And people will come up to him and say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? But Jesus would say to them, I never knew you. You practice lawlessness. Depart from me. Remember that? In that house built upon the rock, Jesus' focus for the church was to live your life in ordinary manner, Listen to God's word, and obey it, and live out the truth. Love God, and love your neighbors. Really very simple terms. And I looked through the scriptures this week, and I couldn't find a command where it says, all of you should live for a revival. That's why I told you last Sunday, my thesis, my view on revival is this. We don't live for a revival. We live for Christ, and there is difference. To live for a revival is to chase after wind. If God grants such revival, praise God. But we don't live for it. We don't say, and what's wrong with our church? What's wrong with our Sunday Worship—it It is boring. It's not fun. There's no satisfaction. And my key verse was Colossians 2.10. It says, And in Him you have been filled. Christ alone will satisfy your deepest longings in your life. Nothing else. Nothing else. I dare say, revivals will not satisfy you. Some of you in your lifetime went through such a small-scale revival in your own church or in your own ministries. When revivals pass, you know what remains? Do you know what remains? When that revivals come and go, what remains after that? What remains after the revival is local churches. By and large, many parachurch ministries, they go away. But the local churches, they stay, and you will always find a handful of faithful Christians filling the pews in those churches. I became a Christian from a parachurch ministry. I lived for the conferences and all the Missions, all the exciting ventures. But when I came to a seminary, I read the scriptures, and I went to a local church and served, which was very different from my early stage of my Christian life. It was filled with exciting events. But as I was serving a church, I saw the glory of a local church where a pastor goes up into the pulpit day in and day out. His preaching was a normal preaching, nothing remarkable. But he will read a verse, and he will exposit it, and he will pray. He will come down. Elders will pray, deacons will pray, people will serve. They will go to missions, they will evangelize, they will pray songs. Next Sunday he comes, he goes up, he comes down. Next Sunday he goes up, he comes down. And I was looking at that, and I saw, wow, that is that is amazing. So when of my friends who grew up together, tried to recruit me to their parachurch ministries, I told them humbly, "I'd rather serve a local church, a local congregation." When revival comes and goes, local church will stand. Yes, there are plenty of churches were shut down and go out of existence. But by and large, the tenacity of a local church is an amazing thing. And I argue for, live for a normal Christian life. You come to a church, you listen to the word of God, you participate in the means of grace, When there's a prayer meeting, go to prayer meeting. When there's such an event, go and obey. If there's a chance to serve, go and serve. That's how you live a Christian life. Let's look at today's word. I'm just going to read it and comment on it, and then we'll continue the journey of investigating the First Great Awakening, X 2. If there was anything that is close to something like First Great Awakening is this, X 2. But we do not go to God's Word through the lens of first or second or third or fourth or fifth Great Awakenings. We begin from the Word and we evaluate everything else from this perspective. Do not make that mistake. Trying to find something that you see from the history, and go to the ward. We begin from it. This is the norm. So then, those who had received his word, you see, word did everything. They were baptized, and that day there were added about three thousand souls. What happens afterwards? And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were dividing them up with all as anyone might have need. And daily, devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who are being saved. Listen to James, where the focus is. Therefore be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, that second coming of Jesus. Until then what? Be patient. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the soil, being patient about it, until he receives the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What about Peter, who preached that great sermon in Acts 2? As a result of it, as God opened their hearts up, 3,000 people, and what you have just read, what does he say in First Peter? Does he say, wow, we had a great time together, didn't we? Pray that Acts 2 will happen over and over again. Do you find that? You read through First and Second Peter. Just a sample here. Therefore, having guarded your minds for action, being sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ see, New Testament does not ask for us to live for a phenomenon. If if God grants such mass convergence, praise God. But that's not what we are living for. There in the New Testament, the sense is endure it, persevere in it, Jesus will come back. That's the message. And I will leave it here. That's what God asks all of his saints to live their lives in such a manner. What I want to do for the remainder of our time is to continue the story that we began most of people including pastors they have very romantic view of the revival and what i want to present to you is not to discourage or discredit what had had happened but to simply to give you historical accounts what happened Before, which we talked about last Sunday, in or during, and more importantly, after the revival. Nobody talks about that. I've never heard anybody talk about the aftermath of revival. Why is that? Because it's discouraging. People only want to talk about, wow, first great awakening. People, so many people came became Christians. Really? Is that what happened? All of us will be better served. All the things that we face, we are not the first generation. You read your history. It will help you. It will keep you balanced in your view. So when I provide with these details, you could have better judgment of the reality. What took place. Background years is 1703 through 1758. Jonathan Edwards, you know him. It's him when he was 48 years old. Jonathan Edwards, best known American pastor. When he was born in 1703, the mass immigration happened 50 years earlier, 1650s, during or after the Civil War in England. And New England was primarily occupied by the English people. Middle colonies were mixed group. Southern colonies, again, English people. Um, So when he was born... The general spiritual scene was the first generation immigrants were dying, already dead. His father will minister to the second generation immigrants, and he will minister to second to third generation immigrants. All immigrants, there's history basically the same. They come, there's a cohesive unity because of their background, language, and culture, and in this case, many of the dissenters. They came, really, for the freedom of religion. So there's a binding unity among them. But the second generation, not so much. Third generation, very bad. So that's the background. He was born in Connecticut. And when he was 23 years old, after graduating from... Yale College after one year of ministry in Manhattan he was called by his grandfather's church in Northampton Northampton really is in Massachusetts but really that is through the Connecticut River Valley and all the sin as I told you is through the Connecticut River Valley last year when I was in uh, Presbytery I was talking with Tom and in our table there was Dick Garber and I was asking a bunch of questions to Dick, and he talked about his family history, how his lineage comes from Germany, and they settled in Hartford, and all the great uh, uh, Connecticut River Valley, and all the German-speaking people, basically American history. So that's him. So he goes to his father's church, his father's, I mean, grandfather's church. His name was Solomon Stoddard. People called him a Pope because his church was big, about 1,200, 1,300 people. His, fa- his grandfather was 83 years old. He wanted to retire. He was th- 23 years old, very young man. He goes up to that ministry. About eight years in his ministry in Northampton, as we talked about last Sunday, there was a sudden and surprising work of God. And it was 1734 to 35. The first great awakening is 1739, 40, 41. By 42, it stops. So my point last Sunday was, there really was no such thing as great wind from heaven suddenly blowing down upon the earth and people becoming Christians in mass. It never really happened that way. Prior to the great first great awakening, there were many local churches and pastors who were preaching the gospel and people were being converted in like normal Sunday worship. That's how it began. And he says, there were, we think about, wow, how did it begin? Great, surprising work of God. He says, five or six people were converted. Five or six, that's it. That's how it began. And over and over again, he says, it was among the professors. That's Christians, professing Christians. It never really happened to the pagans. Non-believers, how could they? Think about it. How could non-Christians become suddenly a Christian? Unless they are listening to God's word. So there is no such thing, again, like spiritual wind blowing. There's no such thing as people walking down the street and suddenly being converted into a Christian. No, it all begins from local congregation. It was not just his church. Though we know about him because he wrote about it and he became famous because of that. Listen to some of the numbers across New England. First Great Awakening is really New England area. 95, 27, 104, 60 in Boston, 102 in Boston, 45, 84, 174 So those are the numbers that we know that were added to churches. Do they number in tens and tens of thousands? No. It's in tens. At the most one or two. 174 And many of that you have to pay attention after the revival is over, it rolls back. Number of conversions was small in the beginning. It happened in his church And I told you, not many people talk about it. Sudden work of God. And there was nothing sudden about it. There was nothing surprising about it. And I recommend it for you to read his sermons. Greatest work of Jonathan Edwards is his revival sermons. Look it up. It's all available. You will be converted. You will be converted when you read it. I mean, it is amazing. And when I read it, I finally understood why that convergence or the First Great great Awakening happened. Good faithful pastors were preaching in such a powerful way. So if you would ask me, what is a revival, good revival? I would say that which happens in a local church. Christian life is to be lived out in a local church. I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor. You chase after any other conferences and ministers, your favorite figures, whatever, it will not, that's not a normal way. Some people attend multiple churches, that's not a normal Christian life. So, if you would ask me, good revival is that which happens in a local church. People in the church coming to Christ. Because there are plenty, each congregation always, they, it has a number of unconverted people attending that church, always. So those people coming to Christ, that's the revival. Already professing Christians, they are awakened, that's the revival. You pity the lost souls outside of the church, that's the revival. So those are the good revivals. Now, let's talk about the aftermath. What happened? I thought about this. Should I talk about it? Um, And I would, because I want to give you a realistic picture of what happened. A lot of local congregations are experiencing the same thing. But it is not simply conversions that were happening but there was a manifesting of outward distress by the people which looks very similar to Pentecostal church events and Jonathan Edwards is defending that true work of God is always mixed with the work of Satan that's religious affection You read it. That's all he does. He's put in a position where he is always and constantly defending. And which? I, when I was young, I bought it. But at my age, I really don't like that. Because he's constantly telling them to distinguish between the true pearls from counterfeit pearls. And like we read from Matthew 7, it is very difficult to tell. But by 1752, opposition grows. There are a couple of parties. One party is basically anti-Calvinists. People, ministers who didn't just like what was happening. Anti-Calvinists. Lloyd-Jones in his work in the, on the Puritans, in his Puritan conferences that was held in 1950s in his own church, Westminster Chapel in London, his observation is always sharp. And one of the things that stuck in my mind is this. He asks, was there any revival among the Unitarians? Was there among the Anglicans ever there was a revival among the Anglicans. Was there anything like revivals that we read among the Lutherans? He says no. As far as he knows, there was no such thing among the Unitarians, Anglicans, and Lutherans. And he talks about various reasons why, but by and large, if you read the history, there were no revivals, anything close to this, among the Armenians. I just want you to know that. If you don't know what that is, it's okay. But usually this kind of, at least first great awakening, was mostly by the Calvinistic preachers. You go home and, go home and read those revival sermons by Edwards. So some people do not like it. Simply they just hate it. But there, there were also good Calvinists who were concerned about some of the emotional excesses they saw, I would too. And when revival happens, during or after, you will always find divisions among the Christians and the churches. You will always find it. Not that there were perfect unity among the churches. There never was such a thing. But when the revival comes, division is suddenly seen among the churches and among the pastors. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it simply happens that way. Second thing that I want to talk about is revival comes to an end, always. It doesn't last long. And it always comes to an end. And that's why I talked about last Sunday. If you live for revivals, you will always look back to that experience and try to top that experience. Golden era. Golden age. And now Edwards and all the people who were for the revivals, now they are in a position where they have to defend why it had stopped. You have to read it. If the revival came by sovereign monergistic grace from heaven, why did it stop? Why would God stop such a good work? And now they have to be an apologist in defending why God stopped this amazing work of converting people. And they blame. They blame those zealots. Worst enemies of the revivals were found among its most zealous friends. Revival comes to an end. Simple point. If you are disappointed that it came to an end, your Christian life will never be the same. For the worse. Now, listen to this. During and after the revival especially during the spirit of jealousy. When revivals came in the small pockets of churches, there were ministers who were not experiencing the revivals in their own churches. It's a the fact. There was no such thing as tsunami sweeping across the land. No. So if you are one of those pastors in your church, in your preaching, nothing is happening, how would you feel? Provided that he was a faithful minister, wouldn't you be discouraged? Is this a good enough reason for us to discount or be careful about the revival? I don't know. But now, let's look at the congregation. You know what congregations were saying? What's wrong with Our pastor across the river, Jonathan Edwards Church is going through revival. By that, what people are saying is that there's an emotional excess that was happening. So, in this on this side of the river, you are sitting in a First Presbyterian Church somewhere. It's not happening, and they are asking, "What's wrong with my pastor? What's wrong with this church?" So you know what happens? 1742 to 1743, when the First Great Awakening stops, Eastern Connecticut, there were about 100 separatist churches who planted, they removed themselves from the churches where Either there was no revival, or they saw the revival, but not up to the point where they would like to see it. They want this kind of excessive revival. But your church is only providing this. What would you do? You go out. You split from the church. So 100 churches, up to 100 churches will spring up everywhere without pastors, but all these lay people assuming the role of the pastors. Within the congregation also, somebody said this. There was a disposition to be perpetually hearing sermons. And in the town, in general, there was not much change. And I, I feel that. So, Jonathan Edwards says, interestingly, his own church's Northampton revival that predates First Great Awakening was a purer kind of revival. You know what happened? As a Great Awakening what was happening... Groups of people will travel around the churches, you see. Suddenly, one Sunday, 20 visitors come in. And they are those storm chasers. They will go around the churches where they, they heard about great preaching. They'll go around and listen to, And they will manifest those emotional excesses here. And they draw attention and always almost always spiritual authority breaks down in those local congregations why because ministers are calm but those lay leaders who are traveling around they manifest those violent emotions or vehement zeal they become leaders and people listen to them rather to instead of their pastors I've seen there over and over again, again in my lifetime. Somebody who stands up in the middle of service and who said, thus says the Lord. People go to them. In the church who prophesy, they go to them. People who have healing powers, they go to them. That's not how you live your Christian life. One last section is this. Once again, what I'm telling you is simply historical facts. Jonathan Edwards, 20 years into his ministry in Northampton, suddenly comes to realize that he cannot receive members into the church, communicant members who are allowed to take the Lord's Supper, without asking for their personal faith in Christ. Up until then, the standard practice of the New England Congregationalist churches, championed by no other person than his own great uh, great grandfather, who said, attendance is about 1,200 people, but the membership was already always like 300, 400 people. So Solomon Sutter said, instead of asking the question, are you a Christian, can you provide your conversion story? That's too much, he said. And he said, I am going to ask a general question question about godliness. So that is known as halfway covenant. And Jonathan Edwards says, that's wrong. But some people ask come into membership, and he said, no. You cannot, uh, you cannot provide me with simple story of I agree with Christian teaching, and I try to live a godly life, and that used to be good enough under his grandfather's church policy and all the congregational churches. But he says, "We are going back to Puritan way. You tell me whether you believe in Christ for your salvation or not. Can you provide me with your story of conversion?" And the parson said, "No. I'm not coming into your membership." Also, in this church, somebody comes to him and reports that among the young people, there is a bad book going around. People are reading a bad book. And as a good pastor would, he preaches against it, and he calls for a church meeting for church discipline measure for the proceedings. And it turns out, in his own church, the young people who were circulating this book and, and they were just not behaving as a Christian, they are from prominent families. In his own church, there were no elders, as far as I could tell, no elders but a couple of deacons, maybe one deacon. And they found out these young men were from these prominent families and the leaders, they backed down. I don't want to go ahead with church discipline. So Jonathan Edwards is standing alone, and his leadership is targeted and weakened. His uncle, up until then, was a great protector of Jonathan Edwards. He dies. And again, this membership and communion who is allowed to take the Lord's Supper Jonathan Edwards says, only the converted. Up until then, his grandfather taught that this is converting ordinance. Because it is converting ordinance, we open it up to non-believers and anybody who would like to try it out, try this out. And maybe God will convert them through the means of grace. That was his grandfather's teaching. Jonathan Edwards says, No. You must be converted and you must be a professing Christian. Division happens. A few months of proceedings against Jonathan Edwards. And there was a church voting. Two hundred and thirty male members only, not the women. Two hundred and thirty male members times five. That's the average, average number of uh, family, in a family, so thousand, thousand, two hundred people, 230 male members voted him out. After 23, 23 years of his ministry, so he was oh, 46, 45, 46, he's voted out from his own church. When I heard John Don Edwards' story in my seminary, I never heard about this. It was all about religious affection, how great his sermons were, how great his treatises were. But he's voted out, and I will not go into the detail, but only thing that I want to point out is this. Younger Sam will immediately try to defend Jonathan Edwards, because he's famous, he's well-known, and we think we know him. But 40-something Sam will not defend him. When there is a such thing as that, you have to look at both sides. You have to be patient. You have to listen to the both sides of their arguments. Why? What happened? And I could see faults from both sides. But again, I will save it for later. Only thing that I want to draw your attention is this. 17... This is 1750, his farewell sermon. It is preserved. You can read about it. What did a great revival a decade earlier do for the sanctification of the Northampton people? That's my question. Brothers and sisters, that kind of one-time great revival experience They do not sanctify you. You may have greater conviction of salvation. It is a good thing. It is a good thing. If you came to Christ like that, like me, you will forever remember that. And you will forever stay in the church of Christ. But, as far as sanctification goes, none of those revivals will sanctify you in a sense. Why is that? Because sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John seventeen seventeen. Sanctification is by applying the word of God to you and into your life. So I will stop here. Should you look for such a revival? It's up to you. But my view already explained in a local setting People coming to Christ. People coming to greater awareness of their sinful state. Praying for the conversion of other people. That's always a good thing. Live for Christ. Not for the revivals. Christ alone will satisfy you. Number two. Be busy in applying the Word of God to your daily life. There's no magic pill. There's no shortcut to your sanctification. And finally, Jonathan Edwards was kicked out of his own church by asking the very simple question, are you a Christian? What evidence can you give me? He was not looking for sanctification evidences, but what evidence can you provide me with? That's a dangerous question. But I simply ask that question to you: Can you provide your own account whether whether you are a Christian or not? Because more than the Lord's table is at stake. Your eternal destiny is at stake. You are hanging by the thread, according to Edwards. And when that tiny string is broken. Nothing but a hair fire awaits. And you think about that. Let's pray.